crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Brent Noctegal. I'm here in Jerusalem, Israel for the program today. Thanks very much for listening. If you haven't yet, go to watchjerusalem.co.il and check out some of the new articles that are going up on that website, our website. Uh, right now there is an article, you'll have to hit the archaeology tab actually, because it was posted a few days ago and it's off the front page right now, on the discovery of Nehemiah's wall. This is a, a brand new article written by Christopher Reams that goes through some of the details of Nehemiah's wall and how it was discovered back in 2008. There has since been the the study, the comprehensive study on that. And so if you haven't looked into it in a while, uh, in the past decade, let's say, uh, I would definitely go and read that article because it fills in some details and adds some pretty solid proof as to the discovery of that wall from 2,500 years ago from Dr. Elot Mazar's excavations. It's also getting a lot of hits on Facebook right now, a lot of shares. Uh, over 5,000 people have read that article or at least gone to the page. I don't know how much they've read necessarily, uh, but they definitely went to the page and spending uh, five or six minutes, it seems, on average there on that article. So please go ahead and read that, and you'll be up on all your facts in regards to Nehemiah's wall. There was an, an article that came out today on Globes that was quite interesting. It's entitled, Jerusalem Ranked World's Fastest Growing Tourist Destination. You might have seen this, I think it was perhaps a week ago or so, there was a big list that came out uh, all across uh, across across the globe, really, and, and many different papers showing the, the world's most popular tourist destinations, and I think the big story was that New York was out of the top 10 or something like that, and most of them were in Asia. Um, but this this article that was published today focuses on how much people had, or, or the, let's say the the percentage growth over the previous year of how many more tourists came to their city. And Jerusalem rose six places uh, in the total uh, on the top city destinations. In 2018, it was 61st place with 3.93 million overseas tourists. And that was up 12%, 12% from 2017. And that was the greatest percentage growth of any city in the world. Quite interesting that Jerusalem's uh, tourism industry is absolutely thriving. And if you've lived in the city or you live in the city, you know this. You know this, especially over the holiday seasons and in the summer. It is more increasingly difficult uh, to transit the city uh, in a car at certain times. It's increasingly difficult to even book out a car, to rent a car if you don't get really book out a few days in advance over these periods as well. And what you're, what's interesting also about this study, or at least this article in Globe, is that we're expected in 2019 to see 38% growth. 38% growth of tourists into Jerusalem over 2018. That's huge. The amount of tourists that are meant to have, have come to the city by the end of this year, so we've got a couple more weeks, is 4.8 million. Well, 4.8 million, sorry, to already here, 4.9 million visitors is what they uh, is what they see might actually take place. So this is quite amazing. 
Jerusalem is a hotspot for tourism right now. A lot of these tourists are evangelical Christians from all over the world. They now feel safe to travel to Israel uh, and also specifically to travel to Jerusalem. And as I said, this tourism industry, while while it's really important for the city, it is creating quite a big burden on Jerusalem's infrastructure. There, there are plenty of places to stay, but getting to the Holy Basin, as it's called, these holy sites in and around the old city and the city of David, it is quite difficult to get there. And this is why the City of David Foundation, in conjunction with the Jerusalem municipality, is trying to cre- is has is trying to create uh, a cable car that is going to go from the first station. Uh, which is just outside the German colony, and basically where Liberty Bell Park is. And it's going to go across the Hinnom Valley, over to Mount Zion, and then down to the Dungate. This has been proposed for some years now. It finally gained approval uh, from the from the government back in early November. And then you had the whole the all the people write in saying how horrible of an idea this was. Um, but really, how are you going to get people to all these tourists, 5 million almost, that are going to come to Jerusalem, most of those going to uh, the at least the, the Western Wall, going into the Old City, and many of those probably this year it's going to get up to close to a million visiting the city of David itself. You have to find a way of getting the people there, and there's nowhere to park, really, and it's like very difficult to even get there now. There's, it's hard to get to, let's say, the Dungate, which is the closest gate to of the old city to the Western Wall, to if you want to go and visit the Temple Mount, uh, if you want to visit the City of David, that's generally where you're going to go. To get there, it's pretty hard to get there from West Jerusalem. You have to either drive down uh, through the Hinnom Valley or you have to go all the way around the old city and then that just gets backed up with cars. And if, and if you get there, it's hard to park. And so that's why during the summer you'll see huge lines of buses along this road, the Haofel Road that goes around the old city, the southern, the eastern part of the old city to pick up uh, people or drop them off. And then they go and park on the Mount of Olives across the way uh, to try and wait for their, their tour groups. But now they're trying to figure out a way of getting all these people there without uh, having to park uh, there around the Western Wall area on the road that's outside of that. And so we'll see if it, it actually happens. It has got all the approvals. It's probably going to take another year or so uh, for it to actually get established there. What's interesting is the station, the name of the station, the final station for this cable car, that's meant to, it's, it travels, I guess it's about a mile, and it's going to take about 1,500 people per hour something like that, and you'll be able to get from the first station to the Trump station. That's what it's going to be called, Trump Station, right outside the Dungate. Uh, it's going to be uh, called Trump Station. It'll take about five minutes to get there. And so this would actually alleviate a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, I believe. Uh, some people saying it isn't. A lot of those people saying it won't allevi- alleviate pressure are those many groups, NGOs, that are upset of for all these tourists coming uh, to this area because most of the history that is highlighted on these tour- on these tours is the history of ancient Jerusalem. And when you're talking about ancient Jerusalem, you're talking about the years of the, of the Bible. That's when most people are coming to see. And that does highlight the history, Jewish history, because that's the history that's there. Nevertheless, uh, it's being called a racist cable car uh, by some, <laughs> some people um, just because, well... 
these are different residents of the area, I suppose, because it is going to bring more tourists to the area. Most of those tourists are there because of the biblical history that they're coming to see. And that biblical history is Jewish. They're not coming to see Arab history. They're coming to see mainly Jewish history, Israelite history. Uh, and so it's been called a racist cable car, and it will increase the number of Jewish settlers at the Dungate, and it's going to destroy the historical picture of Jerusalem, said the head of Jerusalem's anti-Judaization committee, NGO, and so on. Anyhow, there's huge amount of people coming to Jerusalem, which is great, and they're coming to see, more often than not, they're coming to see the archaeological discoveries inside the city of David. Inside the city of David. And this is, it's just hard. You can't even do a cable car to, to this area without it being a, creating a huge political firestorm, uh, it seems. And it really is an example of the volatility of the area that we were talking about. Uh, we are talking about, again, I talked about this last week about the National Geographic's reporting uh, on their article in the December edition of the National Geographic. You can go back and listen to that if you want, talking about how they, most of the, the discussion about or concerning the archaeology in the city of David is, is discussed in terms of the political situation between the Palestinians and the Israelis, the city of David officials that are running the tourist site there and then the local residents. Um, and, you know, again... This is this is a hot topic, and it's I think in many ways um, it undermines the importance of the the archaeological discoveries when they're seen by all the reporters, as I said last week, as tainted discoveries or trying to fulfill a political purpose rather than an actual historic purpose, a uncovering of historical remains of the Jewish people. Yes, but those are historical remains that are. Um, that are featured in the Bible, the stories of the Bible took place here in Jerusalem, the history of the Bible, and it's proven as history through these excavations. And so it concerns far more than the 8 million people that live in Israel and far more than the millions of other Jews around the world. It can, it, it, it is very important for much of the world's population. Now, the importance of this place that I'm talking about, the city of David, where the cable car is going to end up going, this was highlighted in Barry Weiss's article in the New York Times back in published back in March. Barry Weiss, famous author these days, she she has written a book about anti-Semitism. I think she's married to uh, Michael Weiss, I believe, another famous uh, author who wrote a book about um, uh, ISIS as well. Anyhow, she wrote she wrote a story that's probably the most important story or the most featured story on the city of David, Jerusalem archaeology. In the past year, it, it broke the story of the discovery of the Nathan Malik seal that got found at the Gavati parking lot. This is a, an excavation at the very, when I say Gavati parking lot, there's no parking lot there anymore. It used to be a parking lot. Uh, now it's an excavation for the past 10 years, and they're excavating. They're down to finally the destruction layer from the Babylonian period, the time of the biblical prophet Jeremiah. And inside that layer, inside that destruction, they found a seal impression with the man's name, Nathan Melech, who is written uh, in the Bible during the period of Josiah, which was right at the very beginning of Jeremiah's work. And so this article by Barry Weiss, Weiss broke that story. Uh, but she also talked about more about this very difficult, intense political situation there in the city of David. 
And she does a pretty good job at understanding the complexity of the situation, although I think it falls short in some regard. Uh, she does explain this situation quite well. I'm going to quote from her just to introduce what I want to talk about today uh, for you. She says this, well, she starts off quoting Yuval Gadot. He is the uh, co-director of this Gavati parking lot excavation. And it's interesting, again, sorry for another tangent, but the whole reason that they've got this excavation going on right now is not just to find cool stuff and to find historic, uh, important artifacts in the ground, like, like a man's name that's written in the Bible from 2,600 years ago. It's also a salvage excavation, or at least it started out that way. They wanted to construct a multi-tiered car park and or museum-esque type thing here in this location where there were no Palestinian houses. You can look back in pictures as far back as 2006 or 8 to see that there was no houses here. And they want to construct this. They want to have to do an excavation first before they start building this car park and this this, uh, museum of sorts. But now this area that is the Gavati excavation now, after that's completed, this is going to be the location of Trump Station as well. So Trump Station at the end of this cable car is going to be sitting upon uh, the excavation of the Gavati parking lot, as it's called. Okay, so you've got Yuval Gadot, who is the co-director now of this excavation, along with Yiftach Shalev uh, of the Israeli Antiquities Authority. This is what he said in Barry Weiss's article, quote, You cannot cast doubts over the importance of this place. This is the Acropolis of Israel. End quote. It is. It is. This is the royal quarter of ancient Israel is here, where they're excavating on the city of David, Again, last week I said it would be nice, it would be nice if the ancient part of Jerusalem was in what is known as West Jerusalem today that might keep all the, all the uh, foreign NGOs uh, happy, might keep the European Union happy, but it's just not the truth. You can excavate in West Jerusalem, you're not going to find remains like you will find in the city of David. Then she writes, and this is how she summarizes the, the tension here uh, in this location. There is just one problem, Barry Rice writes. The Acropolis of Israel is being unearthed in East Jerusalem, much which much of the world does not regard as belonging to the state of Israel. And it is being unearthed, at least in part, beneath the homes of Palestinians, from land that those Palestinians want to be incorporated into their future state. If any archaeological dig in this part of the world is bound to hit on ethnic, national, and religious fault lines, this one in the Middle East in the, is the Middle Eastern equivalent to the San Andreas, because in Jerusalem the contest over the city's past is part of the war over its future. The archaeologists hard at work uncovering ancient Jerusalem are not consumed with borders and politics. They aren't looking up. They are looking down at olive pits and shards of clay and thinking about what they can, t- what they tell us about the past. So this is a good introduction to the tension in this area. You do have excavations that are going on under the ground. Under there's some of these modern houses, the mor- the the majority of which are Palestinian houses. And so naturally, you are going to have the Western media uh, flocking to the cause of the Palestinians, which really. It was was foisted upon the Palestinians that lived there. I mean, if you talk to them today, many of them today, the Palestinians, you are going to get a very negative picture about the City of David Foundation because they cannot speak in support of the City of David Foundation or these excavations because watch out, Big Brother in the Palestinian Authority is going to come knocking on your door. 
if that if that happens. Now, I, I excavated back in 2006, 2007, 2008, right here in the northern part of the city of David, adjacent to the Gavati parking lot excavation. In the excavation known as, as uh, well, for the discovery of King David's palace. And back then, I was new to Jerusalem, coming over here as a nine, oh, what was I, 20 years old, and being thrust into this city, right into this part of uh, location of tension, apparently. And then we had Jews working on the dig. We had me, like us, we were from uh, Oklahoma, college students from Oklahoma, Herbert W. Armstrong College, participating in the excavation. I'm Australian, had American, a Dutchie was here with us as well. And then lo and behold, we also had Arab workers, Arab workers from Silwan, working there alongside us at the city of David, and we're all getting on fine. I mean, it was great. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from them in discussions with them, with the Arabs, and with the Jews. And this was a picture of harmony. Now, this isn't the way it happens anymore. This was stopped. I mean, sadly to say, most of the people working on those excavations, whether they're Arabs or Jews, they were just there for the paycheck. It wasn't some intrinsic motivation for them to be there, the history they were uncovering, etc. They were there for the paycheck. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, we all worked together, and it, it benefited the local Arab population to have this, this history uncovered because this was a way of them getting jobs, being employed. Far better than many other places in the Arab world, in fact. Getting paid higher wages than many other places in the Arab world during these excavations. But that, that eventually was stopped. Local Arabs were pressured by many others in the leadership of the Palestinian Authority and elsewhere to stop working for the city of David, stop working on the excavations. I mean, it doesn't look good if, for your cause if this so-called Zionist enterprise, and Zionist, I put in quotes, it is a Zionist enterprise, but that just has a bad ring to it, a bad flavor in people's mouths when they hear that. Um... But it doesn't look good for their cause if they're working with this Zionist enterprise and that is meant to be trampling down on the rights of the Palestinians when some of those very same Palestinians whose houses are apparently being destroyed are working underground on those excavations, (laughs) undermining their own properties, apparently. Some of those are employed by this foundation. Doesn't look good uh, for for the narrative. And so I, I wonder how many Arabs are now working for the City of David Foundation. I, I expect that there's not too too many um, because of that. Let's go back to this article by Barry Weiss because she does do a decent job in some respects. Um, but there's what really one big point in her article that goes unchallenged. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of today's program. She goes through this article, and I'll leave a link to it if you want to read it. And she, she interviews uh, Shoshi uh, Tropper. This is a Jewish mother of five who lives in the city of David. They've been there with her. She's been there with her husband for 11 years. And Barry interviewed her and she said, quote, We wanted to live somewhere meaningful. Uh, and then she said, Though her car has been stoned more than once, she said, It's a normal life. We really love it. From outside, maybe we seem like fanatics as settlers, full of, full of hate. But in our life, we are liberal and full of love. Then Barry writes, what of her relationship with her neighbors? Quote, we're a Jewish community and we live inside a big Arab community. We're neighbors, she said, and we get along well. She showed me a red sweater that she said a Palestinian neighbor had knitted for her daughter. 
And so that's one side of it. And now you've got uh, Barry Weiss interviewing another resident, Mr. Sayam, who apparently lives here as well. They are talking about coexistence. Quote, uh, you know what kind of coexistence, the kind you have with your donkey or your dog. I don't know how to argue about whether King David was here or not, he continued, but that doesn't give them the right to kick me out of this neighborhood. Now, there's so many parts in that I'm not going to discuss necessarily of whether, you know, these people have right to live here. Again, if you go back to the 1930s, 1940s, not many people lived here. So there's no real historic presence of 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 Arabs um, here uh, on the city of David. They have moved in over the past couple of generations, generation or two generations. Some of them have licenses for their homes. Some of them don't. And so that's decided by the courts. Um, but if they have their land legally, <clears throat> um, then there's no way that the, the Israeli authorities can, can remove them from their, from their neighborhood. But I want to talk about something that Barry Weiss writes after this, because this is something that is very important in terms of your understanding of history and whether history is important or whether the people above the ground are more important than those underneath. I know that sounds a bit crass, uh, whether somebody above alive is important is more important than what's beneath the ground but please hear me out because i think that you'll see that there is a spectacular importance to the history that's under the ground and perhaps it is more important uh than than um than those that are living there above i'm not talking about life and death here <laughs> obviously not I'm t- obviously people can move um but the importance of the history underground needs to be discussed it needs to be highlighted This history is extremely important. Barry Weiss writes, There is a strong case to be made that the modern should always trump the ancient, even on an archaeological gold mine. That the needs of people living in a particular spot in, in the here and now are far more important than uncovering the lives of those who once did. So she's so she's saying that it's far more important or we should we should give more importance to the people that are living above the ground more than the history underneath it. Now is that really impo- is that really true? She goes on to talk interview another Palestinian who says people are much more important than stones. Now just looking at that you could say yes of course they are. People are the people above the ground. Uh, they are more important than people that are dead. Yes, they're living, of course. We're not talking about life and death here, though. Many of these Palestinians are compensated heavily if they elect to move out of there. They don't have to sell if they legally per- purchase their property. Fine. But I do want to talk about this larger point of how important the history is that's under the ground in the city of David. Is that worth the political tension that's created? Are those discoveries worth uncovering? Or should we just say, ah, there's people that live there now. Let's just, let's just leave that history uncovered. Let's, let's get some perspective here. We're not talking about the taking of human life. We can't get carried away. No one's life is endangered over these archaeological digs. But we are talking about the beating heart of the history of the Bible. It's important that it's excavated. Is it important that it's excavated and shown so that people can see it? 
I mean, the events that took place here in Jerusalem, if you read your Bible, are the most important events in the history of mankind. And it is the history, not just stories, but history of how God intervened in the lives of people. Most notably, the, the history of David. Is that important history to, to show was real? To back up the narrative as contained in the Bible? To show that, that was this is true history? I mean, the fact that almost a million people are going to come here to see this shows that it's quite important to some. Now, obviously, when you read the Western media outlets and even you talk to the NGOs about this, they're painting it all showing that, that these archaeological excavations are, few, are purely for a political point to show that the Jews were here and this is their land. It's all nationalistic to them. That can only be the only, uh, be the only uh, motivation for these excavations taking place. Palestinians out of East Jerusalem, Jews in. But it is so much more than a nationalistic argument to the importance of these excavations. These aren't just about proving that the Jews were here before the Arabs. They do that, but that's not even the most important thing at all. They do reveal that fact. But what's lost in a lot of the discussion over these archaeological discoveries are the lessons of the history that can be learned from those remains that are uncovered. Yes, that history was real. Yes, the Jewish history there here 3,000 years ago was real. But what should we be learning from it? Now, that is what is important. And nobody talks about that when they discuss the finds in the city of David. These archaeological remains that are uncovered and that's what this is why many people that aren't Jewish are coming to this this location. It's not just to affirm, let's say, their faith in the biblical narrative, but some of them are coming to help them see that the Bible is a real document, and then they can be more impacted by the lessons of it. These archaeological remains in the city of David and elsewhere throughout Israel, they're monuments to God's involvement in the affairs of men. They're testimonials to the men of God that lived in this area, to the miracles that God performed for them when they listened to God's prophets. And also, if you look at the destruction layers, you can see what happens when they didn't as well. I mean, it's, it's not fashionable to talk about this today. It's not fashionable to talk about God today as it once was, uh, but we will, but we will at Watch Jerusalem for sure. And I think it's important that we don't lose sight uh, when we talk about these discoveries in, in just approving the Bible as being accurate or a nationalistic argument that the Jews were here first, we really need to dig a little bit deeper than that and ask ourselves why these those archaeological uh, discoveries are important. It's more about showing God's relationship with mankind and how that, that was that's true, that's accurate. What lessons can be learned from that? God wants to use these archaeological discoveries to remind people of what he's doing in the affairs of men, to talk about the kingly line of King David, the promises that God gave to mankind through David. I mean, this is real. These stones are showing that the history of David, Solomon, thereafter Jeremiah, that's real history. So, so what's the Bible? Is it, is it the history right? Did these things just, just 
They took they took place in ancient Israel, but then God was inserted in the story. Well, maybe they just believed in this ethereal God and the scribes writ, wrote God into the story after the fact. Or maybe they were eyewitness, most of them accounts, of people that did have a relationship with God and that he performed miracles for them. He was active in their lives, and those active events are recorded in the Bible. And you go to the city of David today, and you find the physical remains that were there 3,000 years ago, 2,600 years ago. This is real. And God, as I said, wants to use these archaeological discoveries as a witness to mankind today. He's done it in the past. I mean, if you can, you go over to the book of Jeremiah, and you read Jeremiah chapter... Uh, what is it? I think it's Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm missing the chapter here. Um, but you read the first 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Uh, let's go 15 verses. And what's that about? It's about Jeremiah in Jerusalem 2,600 years ago, preaching to them, telling them what's going to happen to the city if they don't change. That's Jeremiah's message. Okay, so we have uh, Jeremiah's captives, seals, been discovered already back in 2008 and 2006. We know that Jeremiah is a historic figure because a lot of the people that are mentioned in conjunction with him have been discovered. First, last names, right archaeological context. We know this history is true. And so Jeremiah is there. He was there, right here, in ancient Jerusalem right by these archaeological discoveries, and he's preaching a message saying, amend your ways, amend your ways. I mean, you, you're saying, hey, we have the temple, we have the temple, nothing bad can happen to us because we have the temple of God. And Jeremiah says what? He says there towards the end, or towards the end of this, this message, verse 12, For go you now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I caused my name to dwell at the first, and see what I did to it, for the wickedness of my people Israel. You notice this. This is interesting. This is this is an archaeological or the archaeological remains of Jeremiah's time. And Jeremiah is preaching this message and he's there before the people and he's using words to try and get to them. But it gets to a certain point where he realizes and God shows him that words aren't that effective anymore. It needs to be more than that. There needs to be something tangible. We need something to show the people what could happen to Jerusalem as the Babylonians, of course, are knocking on the door. And Jeremiah says, with God's inspiration, of course, go to Shiloh and check out the ruins there. That place was destroyed 500 years ago. There's going to be 500 years, this is Jeremiah talking, 500 500 year ago ruins. That place was just as Jerusalem is today, in Jeremiah's time. And those people back then, they probably said the same thing that you're saying right now. God, surely God wouldn't destroy this place. This is the place where he has placed his name. And Jeremiah used the archaeological discoveries or the, the ruins of ancient Shiloh to help him get the message across. Go check out their, those ruins, 500 years old, and God used them as a reminder. That's the way God God works. Malachi, Malachi 3 verse 6, I change not, God says. So would you do the same thing today if you believe that God is still alive as he was 2,600 years ago? Would he use archaeological remains in the city of David in ancient Jerusalem to try and teach lessons to us, our modern sophisticated society? God says he doesn't change. I mean, God 
could really. I mean, if you look at these ruins in the ancient city of David, and, and they just unearthed, we're going to have an article this week going up, or maybe next week, about the destruction layer that's been found all through Jerusalem from the Babylonian time, from the time of Jeremiah. What about those ruins? If Jeremiah was here today, what would he say? Would he say, hey, be one of those million people going to the ancient city of David. Go now to Jerusalem, he might have said. See what happened there. See the good, see the bad, and the ugly. I mean, you could say, why, why, it's, why is it important to uncover the history in this area? I mean, we have the Bible. We have the words of the Bible. We can just simply read our Bible, right? And take God's message from that, learn how to change our lives from that, learn what God's plan is from that. Well, surely we can read that. Well, yes, that's, that's what God would like to do. But really, in Jeremiah's time, they had God's prophets speaking to them. But, but words weren't enough. The people needed something tangible. Nobody listened. So he told them, just go to Shiloh and see those ruins. And hopefully that is going to be a powerful message to help you amend your ways, as you said there. Now, the archaeological excavations in Jerusalem from this period are very important, but they're only as important as the lessons that are learned from the history that they uncover. We're down in the dust once again to resurrect remains of that, uh, that history, of the biblical history, to make it live again. And this isn't just a message of warning. It isn't just a Jeremiah message of warning. And look at the destruction that came then. Look at the destruction that was there in, in, in the city of David today. It's also a message of hope as well. I mean, there's, you could go ahead and, and you go and you notice as you excavate in some areas that there's no destruction layer from King Hezekiah's time. Why is that? Why is that? And he, he lived around the 700s uh, BCE. There's no destruction layer then. Even though the mighty Assyrian Empire was surrounding Jerusalem or had destroyed the destruction layers all through Judah at that time, cities destroyed by Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, emperor, and not Jerusalem, though. Why not? Because this is a positive message. That was when, one of the few instances, where a king listened to God's prophet Isaiah. And we have his seal impression, King Hezekiah's seal impression. That's a message of hope. That's a positive message of what can happen if you listen to, to God's prophets. It's also a really interesting psalm that talks about how these archaeological discoveries, the ancient walls of Jerusalem, are meant to be studied. Lessons are meant to be learned from them. This is Psalm chapter 48. Psalm chapter 48 says this, let Mount Zion be glad, let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. That's the ancient city of David, not Mount Zion up the hill, as it's called Mount Zion today. That's not the real Mount Zion. Mount Zion is this eastern hill, the city of David. Psalm 48 says, walk around it. Go round about her. Count the towers thereof. Mark well her ramparts. Look at the defenses. Check out the walls. Check out those ancient walls. Traverse even her palaces, it says here. We can do that today. We can traverse David's palace today. We can traverse what might be Solomon's palace further up on the, on the Ophel. We can do that today, fulfilling a lot of this psalm. 
And then it says, do all this that you may tell it to the generation following. There's importance in these archaeological discoveries. These remains being unearthed in the city of David are so much more than important, are more important than proving the existence of the Jewish people in this location. They're important because if you let these discoveries really live, if you let these stones actually speak, they speak of God's intervention in the history of mankind. It speaks of the lessons that can be learned from King David, from King Hezekiah, from Jeremiah, from the prophet Isaiah. I don't think it's a coincidence that right now Jerusalem is experiencing the most tourists it's ever experienced. And it's coming at a time when the ancient city of David, ancient Jerusalem, biblical Jerusalem, is being unearthed. God has a message here with those discoveries, with the artifacts, with the walls, the palaces, and the destructions as well. It's a hope-filled message, and it's a message of warning also. So be one of those, if you can, be one of the million that can come up to Jerusalem, that go visit the city of David. Be one of the five million that visit Jerusalem. Go now to Jerusalem, as we could say using Jeremiah's words. Now, if you can't make it here, we do our best to try and let some of these discoveries live from ancient Jerusalem in our newest edition that's going to be coming out say, about in about a month of the Watch Jerusalem magazine. We're going to be featuring Jerusalem in that issue, featuring the, his, the, the amazing history of that city in the Bible and also the archaeological discoveries that do complement it as well so that you can see that these are real events from the pages of your Bible and they match they match those stones of today. So please be looking forward to that. If you haven't got a, if you aren't uh, signed up for this magazine yet, it's free and it can come to you anywhere in the world. You can go to watchjerusalem.co.il and, and hit the literature tab and then magazine and you can order yourself a free copy of that. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening into the program. If you would like to send me some feedback, you can write your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. I'll talk to you next week. 